Hi, I'm Marty Grizzani, and this is The Marty Grizzani Show. As a full-time real estate investor and business owner, I have a real fascination of finding the key principles for business success and personal development. This show is a reflection of my personal mission to find out what truly makes somebody successful in business and in life. We will find tools and tactics that they've used to reach those levels. If you're the type of person is not satisfied with average and you have a hunger for learning that will never cease, this show is for you. Welcome to the show. I'm real excited about this guy. He's, uh, he's really got a special place in my heart because he's a former wrestler. Actually, he's still a wrestler. If you see him, <laughs> you, could, you could tell he could, still, uh, he could still go live on the mat for six minutes. Maybe not six minutes, but definitely could go live for a couple. Um, I'm real excited to talk to him. He's got a really cool story. He's got, a, he's got an interesting past. And uh, Josh Rosenberg, a.k.a. Rosie, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for those who don't know you, um, you know, I, I'd like I'd like for you to give them a little background on who you are, what you do, where you're from, and uh and let's just jump right into it. Sweet. So Josh Rosenberg, I'm from Patrick, New York, which is down on Long Island, not Rochester. Um I grew up in Patchog. went to SUNY Maritime for a couple of years, worked on a ship for four or five years. And then finally, just about three months ago, quit full time to go into the real estate. And it's, uh, it's been amazing. I love it. Full time. Now you do the SUNY Maritime. So are you like an engineer? Is it like, so you, what was your background? You get on the ship and then you're working what in the oil fields? Like, what is it, buddy? Yeah. So I went to Maritime for two years. They, there was six of us in the program in the whole school, (laughs) Uh, but I, I went there thinking I was going to go for four years. And the kid pulled me aside and he goes, Oh, I I'm going here for two years and they're going to guarantee you make 60 grand a year when you come out. So you're 17 years old. You say 60 grand is, is like a million bucks. Oh yeah. So I, I go for two years. I start working in the oil fields. I uh, transport oil, used every single dollar to buy real estate. When I would go home, I would work, use that for my play money. And I just kept rolling it over, rolling it over, rolling it over until finally the day came that I could quit the job. So first of all, uh, what a move for a lot of people who don't even know that that's available. I, I'm pretty sure that could, you know, anyone that's graduating high school, if you kind of put your mind to it, you could, you could get a job sort of like that. Now you have to, you have to work on a ship for how long yeah. is it? A, how long is it a time you're on that ship? I had a pretty good schedule. I'd work three weeks on, three weeks off. Okay. So when I was off, I had no obligations to work. Yeah. I could do whatever I wanted. And uh, I got real lucky in middle school and high school. I met a man that did dock work and marine construction. And he basically told me, he goes, hey, you're going to go to the school. You have no choice. And I said, all right. And it, uh, and it worked out. Wow. Well, that's a nice mentor. Yeah. Um, pointing in the right direction. Because, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people could have shot themselves in the foot. Like if you would have went to maybe if you would have went to like a, like an Oswego and then blew four years and then got like a degree in, you know, freaking sociology, who knows where you would have ended up. You know what I mean? And the years are precious when you're this young, because I don't have a family. Um, I didn't have a house up until recently. So every dollar I made, I could just funnel it into the business. 
So what gave you that mentality to do that? I mean, no one just does that, by the way. That's not <laughs> something that's normal. That's that's completely abnormal, but that's why you're at, what is it, 26? 25. 25, and you're now a full-time real estate investor with over 50 units, but mm-hmm. very much closing every single day on properties. Um, I believe you. I believe you'll have 70 to 100 at you know the ne- next year. Um, so, okay, so why? Why is that something you're doing? You know, one of the things I explore in the show is like, why are people, why are some people have urgency? Why are some people have this hunger, this burn? Like, did, did you know that you were different? Did it happen a little bit later in life? Like for me, it, it kind of happened a little bit later in life, or I guess I recognized that I had it a little bit later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so wh- why are you so hungry? Why are you doing all of this? So I attribute it to, to two reasons. Uh, first, when I was eight years old, my dad passed. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I never looked at it as a sympathy thing, but it's, it's part of the story. So he passed and I lived with my mom and two sisters. My mom wakes up at five o'clock every morning. She would, she goes to the gym every single morning. When we were growing up, she'd have our lunch ready. She'd do everything, clean the whole house before you wake up. So when you live with the mom like that, imagine I slept in every day. I would feel like garbage and, uh, she would make me work till it wasn't until recently that I, I gave her all the credit because it is because she showed me how to work. And, uh, you know, being a single parent to three kids is, is tough. And oh yeah. She didn't fold. She didn't run. She, uh, she taught me how to be a man. And, um, so most of it, most of the, the success goes, goes to her. So God bless her. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think that does make sense. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, seeing my parents like wake up and go for a run every morning, I guess I, I didn't think much of it, but maybe that did help out a bit. You know, they were always up early and there was never a time where like during summer breaks where we could just like hang out. It was like, okay, guys, like, let's get down to work. Like we would just, we would do like some sort of work project just to keep busy. But I, yeah, there's something to that. Maybe that does have a, a little bit of a rub off. Okay. So that's great. So th- you get that, um, you feel that energy from your, you know, you feel that energy from your mom. Um, so, so you're getting into real estate. What was that first thing that made you want to buy a real estate uh, property? Like why, why buy a rental at all? Like why, why was real estate a path for you? So I was fortunate enough that my dad started buying real estate. So when he passed, I believe he had about nine houses or he had a couple buildings, whatever it was. And even up until then, I remember changing locks with them, screening tenants, the little things. My mom took over management. And throughout those years, I would, I would see my mom do things. I'd be like, oh, that was really good or that was bad. And you say, all right, maybe I could do this too. And as I get, got older, I would say, wow, these properties my dad bought 15 years ago are still supporting my family, are still supporting my mom. And mm. Real estate is arguably, and I think you'll agree with me, the most generational business there is. You know, if, if someone has a, a pizzeria, like say the owner dies, the pizzeria is gone 90% of the time. But real estate isn't day by day. You know, it'll take six months to a year for a property to go to shit. So when someone dies, you have a long period of time to say, okay, I could figure this out. I could do this. And if there's equity in the property, I mean, I believe my mom sold a few properties right away and that supported us for years. 
Wow. You're right, man. You're, you're so right. It's generational. And I guess I never really thought of it like that. It, but you had to at a young age, and you experienced that at a young age where you saw that, or maybe maybe it wasn't so blatant, blatant but your, you know, your mom was able to really support you guys for a while with that real estate. I mean, obviously, I'm sure your father didn't envision passing away younger, but geez, what a great thing to, to have to give because we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how long we're here, but that real estate does transfer over. Uh, what a great security blanket. And uh, you're absolutely right. You know, looking at it, you know, I don't have any heirs currently, but, uh, you know, one on the way. Hello. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, but, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting thing. I, I like that. I like that you thought that, and now I know that's something that's important to you now, you know, is continuing to build that, right? Absolutely. And that's why I'm, I'm big on keeping my equity in my houses. Uh, I'm big on paying off property. Now, obviously you got to roll over some equity, but the more that I have stashed in my house, God forbid something happens to me and I hope nothing does for a hundred years, but they're going to have a huge nest egg, you know, uh, so that's, that's really important and it's motivating. Yeah, you're playing it the right way. You really are. Like that's uh, that's so good because I was actually just at a commercial real estate event in New Jersey. Shout out to the Commercial Academy. And a lot of the guys who have built these really incredible businesses, you know, a lot of their portfolios are like 40, 50%. So they're they're not, you know, just absolutely taking out every single penny in equity and, you know, doing that. That's how I built my business though. So I'm very much a high leveraged. Everything is pretty leveraged. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but after being there, I realized that, Hey, you know, th- that's maybe not the, the best way. I think it's a, it's a really good way to grow, but I guess you get to a certain age and uh, you know, these guys are in their fifties and then they're like, Hey, if there's a downturn, we're fine we're good. Um, and, uh, y- you know, it's something to think about. I'm still in a growth mindset. I know you are too, but you've also had to deal with and had to see what that does. So you have a different perspective. If, if you're not, uh, if you are too much leveraged, you know, you wouldn't be able to, you know, s- to maybe talk about so much about real estate because you wouldn't have had any to have it passed over to you and your family. So that's really cool. I like that a lot. I think that's a really interesting strategy. So let's let's talk about that first deal. So you're you're on the ship. Does another person tell you about going into real estate? Like are other people buying? Because you're getting all this money from being on that ship, being at a young age. So what was it? So to go back one more step, I would say that when I really had the first desire to start buying, I was still around 13. Oh wow. My dad's real estate partner said to me, I was mowing his lawn and he goes, he goes, yeah, if, if your dad was alive, we'd all be millionaires. So you say, wow, a million dollars. If you can make that in real estate, that's what I want to do. And I'm a pretty obsessive person. <laughs> so from 13 till, let's say 19, that's all I thought about. <laughs> Luckily, when I was in college, my roommate says, oh, my brother just bought a house in Rochester for 50 grand. And I said, that's impossible. Houses aren't 50,000. And uh, I started researching Rochester. I went up one day and I bought a house that same day. <laughs> so, so, all right. I love that. You're, you are an animal and that does make sense. I could see you like at 13 being obsessed with real estate. There's not many of them, but if it is somebody, it is definitely you. <laughs> so you go up, 
Talk to me about that. Who, who do you meet? How do you do that? Do you have a realtor you called beforehand? I didn't call realtors because I thought you had to pay them money if you were buying, which is not the case. So right. I went to the bank. I was in there in work clothes. Like, I'm a blue collar guy. And he goes, uh, you're Josh. I go, I'm Josh. He goes, all right, come on in. So that was 2018. Semi easy to get approved. Um, you know, I had a decent job. Then I went to Fred Norton. Uh, he's a property manager. And he goes, oh, these are my realtors, Colleen and Brian, and give them a, give them a shout. So they knew I was coming to town. And they had 14 houses for me lined up. And we went to all of them. I had no clue what a good neighborhood was. <laughs> it didn't matter to me. Yeah. And uh, so I picked one that day. And, you know, it took three months to close, as they all do. Yep. I closed on it. I lost money on that house for the first year and a half because I went through three management companies. I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, but it's such a small risk in the grand scheme of things. Sure. At the time though, were you kind of bugging out? No, because I just thought I was the man. I, I was like, Oh, <laughs> I bought a house up. I'm on top of the world. Yeah. You're a landlord at what? Well, how old were you then? 20, uh, 20. Yeah. So you're 20 years old. You bought a house, you know, 99.9% of your friends couldn't even fathom about buying a house, let alone an investment property. So yeah, I could definitely see that. That's definitely one of the reasons why we, we grew very fast is because, you know, when you tell people you get 10 or 20 houses, there is a little bit of a, uh, you know, there's a nice little feeling for that, but also we would have went back and not bought those 10 or 20 houses too at the same time. So let's talk about New York and real estate for a second, right? People can't believe how long it takes to close on a property. Like we're, you know, when you're watching YouTube videos, I'm sure maybe you were when you were learning about this or how to, you know, do all the, you know, the burst strategies and all the different ways of being a property manager and learning all that. It's like you close in a week, close in, you know, two weeks. Isn't it just insane that we have to wait usually around 90 days to close on a property? It doesn't make any sense <laughs> because they say, oh yeah, we get title back in three or four days. Okay. So what takes so long? Um, I do. I love my lawyers, but they, they drag out the process. Everyone's so busy. Um, I just, I just don't understand it. It's a tough job. It's not a fun job and it's not like a very, uh, it's not like a job where you get a lot of praise mm -hmm. for it. You know, it's super transactional. It's a really tough thing, but yeah, it does take way too long and you're just a, you're just one of many files. So it seems like the way to make things close faster is you, you kind of have to be that squeaky wheel, but you mm -hmm. kind of have to be in a, so guys, for people who are listening, who are outside investors like Josh, he's, he's an outside investor. He's in New York city. He's not in New York city, but he's on long Island. And, um, you know, you kind of have to be a squeaky wheel and you know, you, they're, they're looking at people who constantly are calling them and constantly emailing them. So, you know, you don't, you want to do it in a nice way, but you also have to be, a follow-up guy if you want to, if you want to get things done. Okay. So, so let's talk about that first deal. So you buy it and I know you said you were losing money and it, what happened with the first couple of property managers? Like what would you have done differently? How, how do you hire a property manager now if you were to do so? Because a lot of people who are outside investors, this is really important stuff for them to know. So what I, what I found is when these property management companies manage 500 to a thousand units and you only have one, it's very hard to get treated accordingly. And 
at the time it would just be, they would say, all right, we're going to do these repairs. We're going to get it rented. And a month will go by and no repairs are done and it's not rented. And then two months would go by and then I would say, okay, time for a new property manager. I would go to the next property manager and it's the same thing over and over and over again. And it's not that they're, they're bad people necessarily, but property management in tough neighborhoods is almost impossible. So I bounced from one property management to the other until it finally got rented. And they were decent for a while. And then as you buy more houses, it, things start to go downhill. And um, finally, as you know, I, I opened up my own property management and it's made the world a difference. Yeah. And so that's the deal, guys. Like, I think a lot of people, a lot of property managers, first of all, like Josh, like you were saying, management in D and C minus neighborhoods, which is, there's a lot of those in Rochester and they can vary by street to street. Like on one end of a street, the same street can be a F and the other side could be like a B. And so it's really tough, number one. And, 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 and then that B can turn into a D in like two years. And then that F can turn into a C. And so it's just a constant tough spot. Rochester is not easy to buy properties in. It can be a very high cash flow area. But if you're out of state and you're depending on property managers, let me tell you something. I think the hidden truth and like the secret is, is that, they're waiting for you to end up selling these properties. Yep, absolutely. And like we always talk about, it's just, you see high cash flow, you see dollar signs, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. I would rather have a house in a nice area that only makes me $100 a month that's appreciating. I get, you know, you get all the benefits of owning real estate and you're not going to rip your hair out. No, you're not going to rip your hair out and you're going to end up making more money because... You know, there's a, there's there's an evolution of a slumlord where you see this all the time with out-of-state investors. They'll buy a property in a D-class area, which, by the way, the only people that should be buying in D-class areas are government entities. That's it. There should be no person, no new investor should ever buy in a D-class area because you're going to burn out and then you're going to say, real estate's not for me, which if you just would have bought in a B you would probably be a successful investor because nobody's good at managing in D or C minus even, you know, those are really tough spots to manage in. And so the evolution of uh, slumlord, I was telling Josh, it was, you know, you buy a property, you fix it up, you rent it. The person stops paying after six months. You have to evict them. It takes them six months to get out. Now the place is in shambles. You pay a contractor. And remember the contractors that are working in D in C minus areas are not good. And you then have to pay this contractor who steals your money or doesn't finish the job. And then you have to, you know, dig into your savings, which are probably dwindled at this point to fix it again. And then you get another bad tenant. It's over. Now you have no money to fix it up. You got no money to get the the certificate of occupancy. You got no money to do the fixing that needs to be done throughout the maintenance of the, you know, of of any property, especially properties that are from the 1900s and, and lower. These are not 1980 builds. These are 1900 builds. So there's constant maintenance. So 
you know, I think if people would have looked at that and go, man, I am staying away from this. I think the whole place would be better potentially. Oh, <laughs> See me going off is because I, <laughs> I, I'm experiencing these things or I have, and I had to sell these properties and it's a shame because, um, you know, it, there's real people that need housing in this area. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just have a real housing uh, problem here in Rochester. That, without a doubt, and arguably the, the worst I've seen in New York. Yeah. You know, I'm from Long Island. I'm always in New York City. And we don't have these problems. I don't know if it's because it's a little cheaper in Rochester, but um, things aren't, I, I don't think things are handled, handled right housing-wise. Yeah, there's something going on, and uh, I'm not exactly sure. It's, uh, you know, obviously we could get into the redlining, and that definitely played a big part of it, and then people moving out of the city into the suburbs and all those things. So there, was a, there was a lot of disinvestment. And that's why I'm saying that the only people that should be buying it are government entities and, you know, people who are just absolutely just giving back and they don't want, they don't look at it as an investment. It's just, Hey, I want to make this housing nice because this is an area that I grew up in and, and I don't expect anything from it. And those are the only ways to actually do it. Um, anyway, moving on. So what's next? What are you looking at now? You're building this business. You got this property management company that, you know, it's just for you, right? You're not managing other people's properties. It's just for me. And that's how I'd like to keep it. I, I like my peace of mind where people aren't harassing me about their, uh, their properties. And as you know, Tiffany, who works for me is unbelievable. Yes. And I don't even want to put that on her people. You know, she has a great work-life balance. I have your work-life balance. We don't need people on her back all day on my back all day saying we're not doing a good job. It's not a place we want to be in. Yeah. That's really cool. You got a really good foresight. You got a really good back, strong, strong business acumen to, to think that way. So, I know you're thinking of different strategies on, you know, looking at bigger properties now because you kind of, not kind of, you have your systems in place. Um, but where, where are you thinking? What's like the next couple of steps? Where would you like to see this thing go to? So if I could tell you, I don't have a three, four, five year plan for right now. I want to continue to buy these nicer properties in the suburbs that will cash flow tenants take care of them. And maybe we'll have a base of 70 or 80 of them. And then I, I will start buying larger multifamily down here in New York City mm. and Long Island, but keep the management in place. Uh, as you know, with software, you can manage from anywhere. Yep. The only people, the boots on the ground that you need is handyman, plumber, contractors. But as far as a maintenance, uh, as far as a management person, I, I don't believe you need it in place. Excellent. You know, even with showings now, most of them are, are videos. You could have a tenant take a video in a neighboring apartment, whatever it is. But the property management company that we have will service wherever we are. That's great. That, I mean, you guys are doing it the right way. I think, um, I think it gets tough from that like one to 20 unit. It's tough to have like management because there's just not an, you know what I mean? There's just not enough there, but once you get past that to like the 50, then it's, it makes things when you're scaling a lot easier to have management. So I account my management to be about 15% of my gross rent, which is pretty high for most people. Some people only factor in 5%, but the peace of mind that I get is, is worth it. 
and having everything in house is is unbelievable. It's control. It's about having the control. You know what's going to get done. You you like you said, peace of mind. It's it's worth it. And oh, by the way, you're going to stay in business now. Mm-hmm. You know, think about all the people. They're like, well, I only paid five percent, and it's like. Yeah, but you're getting crushed and you're about to be out of business completely. So, you know, and again, you're, you're, you're taking care of your properties. There, there are now, you know, we all learn from those prices, what you pay values, what you get type of properties. We all had to get punched in the face. If you started like Josh and I, <laughs> where you buy $50,000 houses, uh, you know, it's, it takes a while to understand why people stay away from those, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason why a lot of times it is the, younger folks that buy these or the out-of-state investors who see this just as a, as a cash flow play. And, and sometimes it does work out. You might get three or four, you might get lucky, but you know, once, once you start building these things, once you start to accumulate more, it, it starts to get a little tough. So yeah, really, I love what you're doing now where you're really targeting areas that you like. You're keeping a lot of your properties closer together. Has that helped out with management as well? Definitely. And we just recently hired a part-time maintenance man and that's even helped him. He doesn't have to drive 15 minutes away and waste all this gas money. Yes. These prop, you know, I, I probably have 30 properties in a two mile radius. If, if that, and, uh, it's, it's helped a lot. You could bounce around and do what you have to do. And I even stopped buying in other parts of the city just because it's further away. Yeah, you're you're going to be doing yourself such a service later on, and and your whole team a service by doing that, and and then you and oh by the way you like the area and it's it's appreciating and it's you're getting really high rents, right? Absolutely. And another thing that I always think of is if you buy every single house on the block, you c- you control the block. If you only put good tenants in there, the block is going to appreciate. Ooh, I love that. And, uh, when you only have thirty houses on a block, forty houses on a block, that's doable. So. I, I love that. That's really good. That's really, really good. So after buying a few of your more recent properties, what does that look like? Like, can you give people an explanation or can you kind of dive into one of the deals that's been like a really, I guess like a home run for you, or maybe not a home run, so to speak, but just a really solid deal that you were able to pick up recently and kind of explain like Rochester numbers. Hey, I bought it for this. Uh, did put this much into it. I was able to rent it for this. Like, can you go into that a little bit? Cause I think people, it would be helpful for people to hear that. Definitely. So, well, first off, buying our off market, as you know, is key. Uh, it is very hard to buy on market properties at a bargain. You could buy good solid houses, but most of the time it won't be on at a bargain. Right. One of the recent ones, I just finished the refinance about a month ago. I was driving by the house saw the owner outside. I saw it was expired. It was an expired listing and he had it up for 90 grand. So I stop, I say, Hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And we go through the house. I go, wow, this is, this is something I want. And I I say to him, what's the lowest you'll take? He goes 55,000. I I looked at him. I said, one more time. (laughs) Well, uh, I did the deal. Really solid house. I refinished the floors. I painted throughout. I put about six grand into the house. So I'm all into it for 61000 The bank came out and appraised it after I rented it for 1500 They came out and appraised it for 122000 Wow, that is a smash. That's awesome. And then as you know, you cash out, take all the money, 
that the bank will give you and go buy five more houses. That's awesome, dude. I love that. And I love that you actually drove by and you got out of your car. So many people would just have kept driving by. They're like, ah, no, I'm not going to mess with this. This is too awkward. That's the wrestler in you though, right? Just let, let's get, let's get on the mat. Let's just get after it. So it was listed for 90, couldn't sell. And then you offer him 55 cash as is, right? Yes. Unbelievable. Very, very, very cool. How, how many bedrooms was that? That was a four bed. It was a four bed for 1500 For 1500 yes. And it seems like ranks keep going up because if we listed it today, I probably would have put it up for 1700 But um, 1500 is great cash flow. The tenants are great. And let, let the good times roll on that one. Yeah, no kidding. So let's talk about tenants a little bit because, you know, finding good tenants, uh, it, it's the key to this business. It's the key to having... Uh, especially in upstate New York or especially in New York where it takes a year to get somebody out if they're not paying, you know, how heavy are you screening tenants and what are you looking for and how do you screen? And you know, what, what are some no goes for you? Like, you know, obviously within the laws, we, we want to keep this, of course, uh, we always do our due diligence the right way and appropriate with the, mm. the laws that are in place. But what are some things that you've done that have been really successful? So we've, we've been burned a bunch early on because people will come in, they have a great story. They're crying. They have great jobs. You let them in two months later, they get fired from their jobs and they're doing drugs. <laughs> you know, it happens over and over again. Yeah. Tiffany is extremely good at uh, vetting these tenants now. So the, this, we do the standard to start where they, everyone applies online and if they, if a lot of the times their, you know, $20 application fee won't go through psycho automatic dismissal. Yeah. When, when we run their credit, I truthfully don't look too much at the score more about the collections. So many people in Rochester, even in B neighborhoods don't have over a 650 credit score. So but if they say, okay, they're late on their car payment, they're late on their insurance, their utilities, they're not going to pay you rent. Right. Uh, another thing is when they, when they pull up to wherever you are, you have to see if their car on the inside is a complete mess. That's a dead <laughs> giveaway. If, if they have trash from two weeks ago in their car, that's a dead giveaway. Yeah. Uh, if there's the eviction notice from the previous uh, yes. properties in the car, you might want to back off. Absolutely. And then another one is driving by where they live and just seeing, okay, well, they're responsible for the lawn. The lawn looks great. And, um, you know, their furnishing outside looks good. It's not a mattress that's three months old sitting on the, the porch. And uh, that's the big things. And we call many references, three to four references, call their jobs, call their old, old landlords. And we will verify, we get all the time, fake landlords. All the time we'll go on the city website, say, okay, this isn't your landlord. And you catch 20% of people doing that. That's really good guys. For those who are listening, that is so good because this is, again, this is for me, the most important part to all of this. Yes. Buying right is great. You know, having your appraise high is, is awesome. You know, that's how you can build some real wealth. But if you can't get the tenant to be the right tenant, you're screwed and it's going to ruin the whole business for you. 
you know, these really are people that you want to work with. This is, these are people that are, if you look at people like as a partner, like, hey, I look forward to working with you is what I say to a lot of my tenants, Josh. Like, hey, I look forward to working with yeah. you on this stuff. Um, yeah, I've, I've never heard of the driving by and looking at the lawn and making sure, hey, if you're supposed to be taking care of that and, and it's pristine, you, you can kind of tell a lot about that person, right? Um, that's really helpful. Uh, those are the little things, guys, that, it's not the easiest thing to do to drive by and maybe even like knock on their door and say, Hey, how you doing? I was just driving by. I wanted to see how you live. I know some people do that, but if you really want to be successful, you got to do those little things uh, just to make sure that you're, you're, you're giving it your entire best and not leaving anything up to chance because you can't, or you will get punched in the face because it does happen. Um, any other things that you're doing? Uh, any other things that you've seen that have been successful uh, maybe not just with, uh, you know, the tenants, but um, in, in regards to management in general. I would say, like you said, you have to work with the tenant. Uh, we always have a, a mutual respect for each other until someone doesn't. But we give them the benefit of the doubt. And especially these, you want to keep a tenant happy, do these small little repairs that aren't going to cost you much, but are going to that squeaky door that drives them insane, that's going to cost you $2 to go fix, they will be so happy. Mm, love that. A lot of the times, a tenant doesn't care about a roof if it's not leaking. It may be ugly, but they don't care as long as it's not leaking. And that's, that's a real important thing. Just do the small things. They'll be happy. And I actually found that setting up the property management software, having the tenant's ability to pay online, auto pay, it makes their life easier. They don't have to go to the office and drop off a certified check or um, a money order. They just go online, pay through their bank account, pay through their credit card, however they have to do it. And it makes life easier for everyone. It saves everybody time. What are you using for management software? Uh, Buildium. Buildium. Okay. Uh, we need to do that for sure. That's a, that's a no brainer. Uh, one of the things that we've had issues with is some of our tenants just, they didn't, um, you know, I guess have the bank account to do stuff like that. But, but now that we're getting out of that side of properties of, you know, people that don't have bank accounts, uh, <laughs> I, I think that's something that we're, we're going to implement. All right. So building it is. I'm a tenant of Rosie property management. So I bought a two family on Long Island that I house hacked and I actually pay rent to myself. Mm. I'm my own tenant, but where I'm getting at is I'm building when I log in, I only have two buttons I could click pay rent or request maintenance. And when I request maintenance, uh, email goes to Tiffany and I, it's, it's just so much easier. I didn't have to pick up the phone and call Tiffany and say, Hey, something broke. It's just a quick little email and we all know what's going on and it's in our system. So you can't forget about it. Yeah, that was one of the things that Matt Druin said on one of our Go Big events uh, Zoom calls was, you know, you, you might, he, he said he dropped the ball a few times and we have dropped the ball a few times because it would go to Matt or me and, you know, we're doing something else and then you forget about it. So, yeah, that's a must do. Uh, if there's anybody listening who wants to set that up for me, uh, that would be great. I need, I need like an admin, some, some, someone to go in and like get all the tenant information and put it in there for me and all that stuff. But, um, Okay, that's really good. So, so you're doing that. You're moving and shaking. You're buying properties. Um, what is um, 
What is a way that you've been able to grow the business? Have you been using just your money? Are you, how are you financing this stuff? Private money has been key. And it all started with my uncle who he recently passed too, but he comes to me one, and he was a very successful lawyer. And he comes to me and he says, oh, I want to be your partner. Just as an uncle thing. He, he didn't actually care, but hey, I, I want to be a partner. And I said, oh, I'm not a partner's guy. You know, I, I feel like I'm on this mission by myself. And he goes, all right, well, I'll, I'll lend you money. And the first loan we did, I didn't even know what an interest only loan was. And that's what we did. So I couldn't figure out what the payment was. I just, <laughs> whatever they put on the paper is what I was going to pay. Right. But that opened up many doors, private money. If, if you could buy a deal cheap enough that, you know, you could refinance, get your capital back. Private money is, in my opinion, the only way to go. Um, right now, the people that lend me money are contractors, family members, you know, your normal private lenders, but it works well for everybody. You know, like Marty, you send me, Hey, I've 50 grand. Uh, what would you give me? And I said, I give you 10%. And at the end of our term, you get your 50 grand back. You know, it's just, I would say 99% of people don't know that's an option. You, you put your money in the stock market. That's what everyone does, but it's, it's not the best way all the time. So explain that. Cause some people, like you said, when you were just starting out, you may not have understood that. So a lot of people probably don't understand that. So private money guys is typically people, you know, uh, there, there is a difference between hard money and private money. Private money is more negotiable. It's more, uh, you know, you're, you're just, you're giving people an option to work with you. You don't necessarily need to work with them, but you're, you're giving them an option to work with you because you're making their money work for them. But explain like the math on, let's just make it a, like a 50 or a hundred thousand dollar deal. So people can kind of understand. So on a hundred grand, and I always pay people 10%. It, it doesn't matter who it is that works for me. And that's a good return for someone else. So if someone loans me a hundred grand, they're going to get back 10 grand a year split over 12 months. So I don't know what it comes out to $800 a month, whatever it is. And I set it up ACH. So these people get the money on the first of the month, every single month. I'm not writing them a check. It's just in their bank account. And then let's say they say, okay, Josh, I'm going to loan you this money for three years. At the end of the three years, I give them their hundred grand back, which I could either sell the property, refinance the property, or if I have the capital, I could pay them myself. So that's so powerful. For number one, you're doing it the right way with the ACH. Um, mm-hmm. They're getting it automatically on the first. And it's just instant credibility. Another way of doing it now, Josh is in, in Long Island and he might borrow money. I know he does occasionally from people here in Rochester. When I first started, I was driving the check to the people's office. And I would meet with them on the first and I would bring them the check. And 90% of the time, it was just the receptionist that would take it. But it was that... This guy's no, you know, this guy's no joke. And I took it seriously. They knew. I, so then if, what do you think? You know, what do you think when I would go to ask for more money? Right. It'd be a no brainer. This guy's, this guy's really doing it. So yeah, again, you know, for people who are like, well, how do I do that? How, how you know, how do you raise the money? Like, how would you go about it? Well, know your numbers, know your numbers, you know, know the business plan that you, you, you plan to do. And like Josh was saying, he could either flip it and make money there or he could refi it with the bank and make money there. He could, you know, basically he could either hold it still or he could go and sell it and he's going to be able to pay his people back. The other thing to think about though, guys, is people need people like us. People need entrepreneurs 
to go and take something and add value to it and then either sell it or go to a bank and refinance it and deploy people's money to make them money. That's how this works. That's how real estate works. So like when you're thinking about real estate, if you want to get in real estate, well, you better be good at or at least start getting acquainted with raising capital because that's how you do this, this job. Um, any, any thoughts on that? I agree. And I actually talked to a lender yesterday after we spoke and I asked him, I said, oh, how many people default? And he was telling me and he goes, you know, I, I pray I get guys like you every time. And that's when it, it, it just a constant reminder. Well, if you're a, a good manager, a good investor, the money's there. These guys, they need you. So, you know, would, would you rather invest a hundred grand in the stock market and see a 5% return every year? Or would you rather see a 10% return lending money? Yeah. And that's, oh, by the way, backed by an actual asset you can touch yeah. in your neighborhood, let alone you know, that could be blown up because the CEO smokes a joint on Joe Rogan, <laughs> right? Like what happened with Tesla? It goes down 30%. Now, obviously it's back up and all that's great and, and dandy, but you know, that those things happen all the time. You know, somebody gets caught with uh, cheating on their wife and the whole thing implodes, you know? So yeah, I, I believe it is the best investment uh, vehicle for anyone. And for people that do have capital, that they're looking to deploy, contact Josh, uh, contact me, you know, contact people who you, you trust. Well, you know, I, I was, I was curious, what does DNR stand for? Uh, my dad's initials. Ah, I love it. You know, I didn't know when I started this, I walked into a zombie house and I ended up buying it. It was in a package, whatever. I sold yeah. it a week later, but the real estate agent goes, Oh, are you buying this? Cause you're do, uh, do not resuscitate. And this house is that bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Every time I pull up your email to send you something, I see DNR. I'm like, do not resuscitate. But, yeah. but now I know that's really cool. That's really cool. I like that. I like that story. Constant reminder. I love it. Well, and yeah, and that's it's motivation. It's just keeping you. You know, your all your goals are very much family oriented, legacy oriented, proving it that you can do it. Um, you know, do do you listen to any sort of podcast or do you read books on anything that like gets you more inspired or, you know, what do you do to, to maybe do you meditate? What, what are some of your daily routines must do's? Um, cause I'm a huge fan of these things. Yeah, I, I do read, um, not as often as like, as I'd like, but on the, when I was working on the ship, I'd read every day. Um, what I do now, it's actually funny is I go clamming with one of my friends and we, we sell the clams, you know, it's, we're commercially clamming, but you know, we go out at seven o'clock and we come back around noontime and you're out there. It is peaceful as anything. There's so much wildlife. And that gives me time to, to think like today I was listening to your podcast with uh, Jeff Cook. That's what I did today. And, How was that one? What are your thoughts on that? He's, he's unbelievable. And I loved, uh, is his name Jerome? Jerome. Oh, Jeremiah. Yeah. Jeremiah. He, just from a wrestler standpoint, and I am booking an ultra marathon tonight just because of that podcast. No. Yes. Yeah, so. All right. Let's talk about it. Why are you doing that? That is insane. Well, I ran a marathon back in May and I half ass trained for it. And uh, it, it was a big accomplishment. And then you say, wow, well, a fair amount of people do marathons. You know, like I'm it's not that uncommon. 
not many people do ultra marathons. So <laughs> when, I, no. when I heard you guys talking about it, you guys are getting worked up with David Goggins and, and uh, I go, I need, I need something to really push me, like re- really bring me into the dirt. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So. You're out of your mind. I love it. I did a half marathon and I, was, I thought I was, it was done for me. I was done. Um, I, I am going to run a marathon though. I think, uh, I actually was just talking to Matt, my partner, and he's thinking about doing it in two weeks, 75 hard. And I was like, if you're going to do it, I'll do it. 75 hard is no joke. Yeah. But you're going to be yoked after. Yeah. And, and, uh, because we were just talking about my wife being pregnant, I was like, you know, she can't drink. So it like makes my life way easier. Cause then I, I'm not. I haven't really drank in the last couple of months. So it's like, oh, that, 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 that part would have been the hardest part in the summer for me. Um, but, but that, uh, for those who don't know what 75 hard is, it's, um, it's two workouts a day. One's got to be an outside workout. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's some sort of diet of any, uh, of any kind. And it's, uh, I believe reading 10 pages of a book, a progress picture, and then no drinking, uh, for, for 75 days, I might be missing something there. And let me ask you, um, I know how you are, so I know what you're going to say, but when you're in these workouts, that's when you get your business motivation, your business ideas. And yeah, they're so directly correlated when, when your your body and your mind, are working together, staying healthy, you could achieve greatness. You know, it's so funny you say that because two things you just mentioned, Jeremiah, and he was talking about on a video he just shot was that your body being in shape, there's a pretty clear correlation that if you're jacked, Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised if you tell me you have a really successful business. Exactly. You know, like it's, it's no surprise that people who are jacked and in shape that are also multimillionaire, like that, that correlates very well. And for those who are not in shape, I'm not judging anybody, but if, if you're not taking that seriously, like what else are you not taking serious? Like if you don't care about your body and you don't care because it, it correlates with, it's all about, you know, it also impacts your brain It impacts the decisions you make. I don't care, you know, who you are. It just does. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, we're very much at suplex properties. We are, man, I are very much like, Hey, did you get your workout in? And if you didn't get it in, take the time and get it in because I need you. I need your brain to be freaking clear here. Exactly. And it's, it's a, it's a disciplined thing. You know, if you're not disciplined with your health, you're not disciplined anywhere. You're not disciplined anywhere. And one of the things that made a lot of sense to me, uh, my one buddy was like, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. And I was, and that really changed like how I do things. And I was like, you know what, you know, I I might be a little sloppy here and there with like just little things like making my bed or the, sometimes I, I keep a lot of shit in my car that I need to clean out at times. And so um, I'm not perfect. No one is. I definitely am not, but I'm, I'm working on those things too. You know, like, uh, cause it is, it all, it is the same. It really all, it all, uh, it all comes together. Josh Rosenberg. Woo, dude, you crushed it. Um, for those who uh, maybe want to reach out to you, they might have a deal. Cause they know you're a big buyer you know, and you like single families. You like doubles, but he, he likes single families in the suburbs and some of the nicer parts of the city, just like anybody else uh, of Rochester. How can they find you? How can they hear more about you? How, how can they just talk to you? You're, you're, you're really uh, somebody who is building and people want to be uh, in touch with people like you. So how do they get in touch with you? So 
the email is a little long, but it's DNR Rental Properties LLC at Outlook.com. And my phone number is 631 375 6120. Yeah, that's great. This is a. This is a guy who will give you a cell phone number and his email. So for those who are listening, and like I said, if you have a deal uh, or if you have a property, you have uh, something of value, or if you just have questions, uh, Josh is really nice. He'll he'll get back to you on stuff like that. So um, anyway, Josh, any final words for the folks here listening? Just keep at it. Keep going. Um, I guess the the one thing I will say is that, you know, you've always been a guy who is never afraid to 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 bet on themselves. Uh you're you're definitely a risk taker in the fact that you bet on yourself and you invest a lot not just in, you know, properties and stuff, but you invest in your people. Um a clear example, we had our Go Big event and Josh came, it was very nice to see him there, but he also brought Tiffany, his awesome manager there, and you know, he could have went by himself, but the fact that he also had his uh, his teammate go he wants her to win just as much as himself. And I think that was really cool. Yeah. I tell Tiffany all the time when I sell out in 10 years for a hundred million, she's going to get 10. So keep, keep the ball rolling. (laughs) That's a real CEO folks. So anyway, thanks for watching. Thanks for tuning in. That was the Marty Grizzani show with Josh Rosenberg. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to the Marty Grizzani Show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us an honest rating and review. If you're on Spotify, make sure you follow us for weekly episodes.